0: And it says, do good to your servant, and and I will live. I will obey your word. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. Your rebuke and the arrogant who are cursed, who stray from your commands. Remove from me scorn and contempt for I kept your statutes. The rulers sit together and slander me. Your servant will meditate on your decrees. Statutes are my delight; they are my counsel.
1: Good stuff.
0: I have a note here written: always read before reading the Bible.
1: Always read before reading the Bible. One of the octaves. Okay, August thirtieth. It was the Boxers versus the Christians. Year nineteen hundred. Found where are the Boxers' rebellion at? Does anybody know? It China? China, good girl. Uh, uh, oh, that's not PC, is it? Saying good girl, good person. Okay. Uh, the oh year 1900 found China increasingly embroiled in political conflict. Foreign powers were asserting their influence on China, the polarizing, uh, polarizing the Chinese into warring factions: those in favor of Westernization and those opposed to it. A particularly conservative Christian group called the Righteous and Harmonious known as boxers, did everything in their power to fight westernization. Their goals were to preserve old pagan religions and to keep foreigners out of China. Organized and active throughout all of the Chinese provinces, the boxers had a particular, particular stronghold in the Shaanxi province where they were able to get one of their own appointed governor. Their movement was called the Boxer Rebellion. My grandmother was there at that time. She was born in China and raised. My great-grandfather was a medical missionary in China. And so uh, she she went through this. Let's see here. The China Inland Missions Emily Whitechurch from England and Edith Cyril from New Zealand were two of the many single women teams stationed in isolated towns in their town of Xiaoyi, in South Central Shanxi province they worked with opium addicts. In the midst of the boxer reign of terror, Miss Mrs. Cyril wrote to a friend From the human standpoint, all missionaries in Shanxi Province are equally unsafe. From the point of view of those who live whose lives are hid with Christ in God, all are equally safe. His children shall have a place of refuge, and that place is the secret place of the most high. Two days after the letter was written, a boxer mob stormed their house and brutally killed the two women. The local Christians risked their lives to rescue their bodies and bury them properly, covering them with flowers from Miss Cyril's garden. Another group of CIM missionaries, Willie and Helen Pete, their two daughters and two single women missionaries, were hidden by Chinese Christians in caves for three weeks before being discovered by the boxers. We are in God's hands, Willie Pete wrote. I can say, I will fear no evil for thou art with me, Edith Dodson, one of the single women women, wrote in her last letter. We know not, can we know naught can come to us without his permission, so we have no need to be troubled. It is not my nature to fear physical harm, but I trust if it come, his grace will be all-sufficient. They were temporarily spared when a magistrate intervened and ordered that they be delivered to a nearby city. But threatened by a mob, they were forced to flee again to the mountains. While hiding in a cave, Willie Pete wrote his final ever letter to his mother and uncle. The soldiers are just on us, and I have only time to say goodbye to you. Uh, We shall soon be with Christ, which is far better for us. We can only now be sorry for you who are left behind in our dear native Christians goodbye. At longest it is only till he come. We rejoice that we are made partakers of the sufferings of Christ and that when his glory shall be revealed, we may rejoice also with exceeding joy. Helen Pete added, Our father is with us, and we go to him and trust to see you all before his face, to be forever together with him. On august thirtieth, nineteen hundred, Willie and Helen Pete and their two daughters, and the two women with them were martyred. Throughout China, one hundred and eighty-eight missionaries and missionary children were killed during the Boxer Rebellion. Of these, 159 were martyred in Shanxi Province. The missionaries in China during the summer of 1900 experienced incredible sufferings. Are you willing to share in Christ's sufferings as they did? Can you rejoice like the Pete's when you were made to suffer for him? What do you think you would write in your final letter to your family? And it says in Revelation 12, 12 11, and they were not afraid to die. And here we sit and moan when we don't have air conditioning. Ah. <laughs> Let's see, we have uh, Nick in recovery for 60 days and has put the Lord first. Don't want to give too many specifics, but he's in drug recovery and uh, we want to keep Nick in prayer. His uh, mother attends online and I won't say any more than that without permission, but uh, he seems to be doing well. He's put the Lord first and uh, we would hope that would continue after he's in recovery. And then... um, Let's see, here we have Lothar in Germany. Our friend is, uh, he's going through some tough times right now. And uh, so I would ask that we would lift him up as well. And just, you know, what a good, nice person he is. So we'll have them in prayer. And uh, I'm sure there's something else that Doug. I should be remembering. What's that? Doug. Oh, Doug, thank you, Doug Callerson. Yeah, th- he and his wife lost their baby puppy. Just two years old this week, he got run over, and uh, that was a real loss for him. We were talking about that last night. So, you know, you, when, you, when you're when you a husband and a wife, and all you have is your puppies, they are your children. And I can tell you, I have eight of them. And if any one of them gets hurt, we take it personally. So my heart goes out to them as well. So, Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the chance to come and have this Bible study. Uh, we pray for Burke, who's not here because of uh, difficulties at home with a lightning strike. And we would pray that you would be with him through the trial that he's got to go through reorganizing things and then we certainly pray for the people we just mentioned that you would be with them and guide them give them strength give them happiness and join their heart and rest, rest uh, restitution in their lives for the things that they are lost or that they're suffering and that they would get over that and we thank you for the opportunity to serve you in whatever capacity you decide and we would pray that you would help us to Uh, know what path we should take. Sometimes it's just not easy, what should I do today? But uh, if we pray to you to guide our steps, certainly you will be there and you will lead us down where you want us to be. So help us to put you first. And then of course, all things will follow in their proper place. Lord, we commit this uh, Bible study to you. It sure is wonderful to be in your word. And we just thank you for the book of Romans and we thank you for the truth that it tells us. And we pray these things and thank you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're in Romans 14, verse 12 today.
0: So then, each of us will give an account of
1: himself to God. All right, let me see what mine says. So then, each of us shall give account of himself to God. So we're really close there. Oh, there uh, one of them plagiarized off the other, I think. Okay, let's see here. Here's some comments on fourteen twelve. The word so is given as a confirming note concerning the previous thought. Paul has been extremely clear in our responsibilities to those who are weaker in the faith. If they, because of their weakness in the faith, abstain from meats, then we are to accept that. Remember, we've been talking about meats. We've been talking about days. We've been almost beating it to death. But Paul gives us a couple verses, and we've just been going into great detail about it because it ties in with what Paul says elsewhere. And eventually you get a round picture that these are things that we need to watch out for. So anyway, um If someone is deeply grounded in Christ, esteems every day the same, meaning he doesn't have a particular day of worship set aside, then we're not to judge him for his freedom. We are not the judge of biblically non-stated matters, okay? Everybody got that? If it's not in the Bible, let it alone, okay? Um, I had somebody email me today, because I always say we're not under the law. We're not under the law. And it was a very good question, actually. She said... um, uh, well, if we're not under law, is it okay if we do the, the things that the Ten Commandments forbids, like killing and this and that? And I said, well, you know, obviously not. But she's wondering, how can that be? If we're under grace, then how can it be? And the reason why there's uh first thing to understand is that the Ten Commandments are a part of the law of Moses. The law of Moses is annulled in Christ. It's done, okay? There's no separation between the moral law and the civil law. You'll hear that taught quite often because people are afraid of getting rid of the Ten Commandments. But the same people that do that don't observe a Sabbath. So it's almost a hypocritical attitude to have. The answer is that we live by Paul's instructions in the New Testament. This is a Gentile-led church age. He wrote the instructions for that, and Paul says, don't murder so, obviously, we're not to kill. And he goes through nine of the Ten Commandments as things that we are not to do. Don't covet, don't do this and that, right? Not to lie to one another. So, they're all covered by Paul. And the second thing is that the Sabbath is completely dismissed by Paul, as it is here in the book of Romans fourteen five, and as it is in the book of Colossians 2, 16, and 17, as it is in the book of Hebrews, which I'm certain Paul wrote, even though it's not signed by Paul. We can go through that sometime as to why I believe that. But Hebrews 4, 3, now we who believe have entered that rest. So, come on in. Um, So, uh, anyway, come on up. We'll get that out of the way. You got to go, I imagine. So, come on over here. Somebody sent something to one of our missionaries, and so I'm going to give that to you you. right now. No, not at all. All right. Good to see you. All right. Tell Ray we said hi. All right. Take good care of yourself. Make sure, count that. Make sure I did that right. I hope I got the right pocket there. Anyway, um, so uh, the answer is no. We're, We're not under the law, but we are required to not do these things. But... If we do these things, 2 Corinthians 5.19, and this is what I told her, God is not imputing our sins to us. If we do that, he's not imputing the sin, because if he did, then it would cause the separation that happened at the fall, and we would not be in Christ any longer. So you understand the the, uh, idea here is that we are in Christ, we are not being counted our sins, we're not to do those things, they will go against us in rewards and losses, but we are not going to lose our salvation. But we will lose our joy. I guarantee you, if you go out and you kill somebody today, which is Paul told you not to do it, but the law also says not to do it, you're going to end up in jail. You're either going to end up in jail probably for the rest of your life, or you might get old Sparky, right? One way or another, we're not to do these things. But it was a valid question she asked. And uh, uh, it's just when you say we're not under law, what does that mean? Well, that's why we have to go through all of the New Testament epistles. And we've got to piece this together because he says something here. He says something here. And pretty soon you've got a full idea of what's going on. But I will say this is that uh, if you were to start with Romans 1, 1 and start reading, and you got to um, Philemon, whatever it ends at, verse 16 or seven, whatever. No, I think it's like 29 verses. But from Romans 1.1 to Philemon, how long is it going to take you to read Paul's letters? Literally, a few hours? I mean, if you want to know church age doctrine, you don't need to attend this Bible study every week. I'm glad you do. But what you need to do is read Paul's letters and you need to read them again and you need to read them again and you need to read them again because the more you read them, the more they make sense in your head. It's like anything when you memorize things for schoolwork, the more you read it, the more you come to a memorization and then you can recall any part of it to mind right away. If you're not reading Paul's letters, you're not getting church age doctrine. If you're in, you know, if you're in a Pentecostal church, what book of the Bible do they use the most? Acts. That's not for doctrine at all. Acts is not a book for your church age doctrine. It's to tell you what happened during the establishment of the church age and how we got to the point we are now. The Jews are out, they're under punishment, they did not receive Christ as a nation, and so the Gentiles took over until the time when the Jews will well actually until the rapture and then eventually the jews will as a nation receive christ but if you want to know proper church age doctrine i would like you to read the books of paul and read them and read them and read them and it's not going to take you that long if you start tomorrow morning and you read 30 minutes in about a week you'll be done with them and then you start again and you'll be done with them in another week and just do that for a year and you're going to have better doctrine than 99.999 percent of the people out there. I'm talking about pastors and teachers and because they're all over the place. They're not sticking with Paul. Paul is our church age doctrine. It was a very good question. I'm glad she asked it. So um, uh, let's see here. Where was I? Um, Oh, yeah. Um, We're not to to judge biblically non-stated matters. We have no authority to point accusing fingers at the freedom exercised by others, which has been granted by Christ. If it's not in the New Testament epistles, we have Liberty to do it don't pick on people to do no dancing No this No that one thing and another forget that that is as bad as taking the Bible and saying well that doesn't apply and that doesn't apply I don't care if it's liberal ideology or if it's legalistic ideology they're both poison leave people alone that are not violating biblical standards and people that have their own things like I shouldn't be eating pork Paul says just l- let them grow in Christ and eventually they'll get over that hopefully okay so This has been the context of the entire chapter so far, including verse 11. Though verse 11 made a true statement about all humanity's acknowledgment of Jesus as Lord, that is not the intent of that verse as regards the surrounding context. Rather, the intent is the responsibility of all believers to Jesus, not to the external pressures or whims of other believers. In such non-defined matters, then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Let me read your verse 11 again, so that you know what I'm talking about. Um, for it is written, "As I live says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God." And then verse 12, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Those things that we do with freedom of conscience will be accepted, but the things those things which we did apart from a good conscience. Apart from a good conscience, Paul was, um, uh, I'm sorry, but there are those things which we did apart from a good conscience. That was a a statement, not a question. Anyway, Paul will sum those things up in the last verse of this chapter with the words, for whatever is not of faith is sin. If it's not of faith, it is of sin. So if you're doing something not in a good conscience, in other words, this is an example, okay, Um, I go out with uh, John. And I want to have a uh, bologna sandwich. Is bologna pork? It is, right? Uh,
0: Most of it.
1: Most of it. Okay, so we'll say bologna sandwich. Okay, and John says, well, I can't eat that. You know, I'm not going to do that. And then I say, come on, what's the matter with you? And he eats it now because he feels like I'm embarrassing Charlie. His conscience is defiled about that, and he's actually sinning. And I have caused him to sin. Okay? He's going to deal with that in detail in 1 Corinthians, okay? But that's the idea there. If something is not of faith, and he's not eating in faith, you are causing him to sin, and that is a stumbling block, okay? So you have to be careful how you treat things, but there are things that you have complete freedom to do, and if he doesn't think that then that is his problem. If you pressure him into it, then it becomes your problem towards him. So there's a fine line in it. There are times where you can say, well, I wasn't doing wrong. And if your conscience says you were, then you should probably apologize to him, right? But let it go with that. Anyway, so um, uh, where was I? Um, Yeah, whatever is not from faith is sin. Sin can come from acting in a manner contrary to our own lack of faith as the baloney sandwich example. And that can easily come from external pressure as he tells us, oh, I said 1 Corinthians and then I cite it right here. So we'll go there. 1 Corinthians 8, where he says, 1 Corinthians 8, verses 9 through 13. But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours, you, you have the liberty and you know you do. Christ hasn't told you you can't do that. This liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Right. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Okay, if you're going to cause somebody to stumble, then it's best not to eat around him at all and certainly don't put pressure on him. That's what Paul is saying. And like I said, there's more to it than that. Paul will go through it in one Corinthians. But that's a a good round example of what he's he's specifically talking about idols temple. I know I talked about it last week, but the idea is that if you go and I gave the example of Tampa because they've got a Thai temple up there and, you know, I like to go up there. They have all kinds of good. Food to sell, and they got like like a farmers market, and you know there's people that are out there, and they've got their uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, chicken on a stick. Um, okay. uh, it, it, it's you know that is the one food I've seen in every country I've ever been in in the world is chicken on a stick. Um, what but what do we call it here? We call it um and shish kebab. That's what we call it here. But then we in Japan they call it um oh, anyway they got it. It's all over wherever I've been. They have chicken on a stick. Okay, but we don't know if in fact they have uh, um, sacrificed that to an idol or not. We have no idea what they did when they were, pre- they're just selling it out there and they're putting it on there and you want to buy some chicken? Sure. Okay. So Paul says, go ahead, buy it, eat it. doesn't make any difference in the, at all because the earth is the Lord's in all his fullness. There's no such thing as an idol in all the world. That's what he says. So it doesn't matter what they did with the chicken because it's, there's no God, but one. Okay. But, if that guy is cooking he says, ah, oh, I sacrificed this to, uh, you know, this God, then don't eat it. And he said, not for your conscience sake, because earth is Lord's in all its fullness. You know that it doesn't mean anything. It's just food for his sake, because he sees that you're a Christian and now you're eating his food that he sacrificed to an idol. Now he thinks that Christians can eat things sacrificed to idols and he may never come to Christ. OK, same thing with the guy standing next to you. You're ordering that, and the guy says, well, that was sacrificed to an idol. He says, don't eat it, not for your sake, but for his. Don't harm his conscience unless you give him instruction. You can give him your little theology and take, pull out your Bible out of your back pocket, show him 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and say, see, it is okay. And then he says, oh, now his conscience isn't defiled, and you're not sinning against him. So carry your Bible with you, and you'll get yourself some chicken on a stick, okay? But you see, everything comes down to conscience in Christ. If you are sinning against your conscience, you're sinning against Christ is what's happening. So there you go. As you can see from these verses, sin isn't just working against our own conscience, but it is also sin to make another work against their conscience, whether it's the guy selling it, whether it's the guy next to you or whatever, okay? God wants us to live in faith and to teach others to live in faith. When we violate this, we sin, okay? Everybody got that one, okay? Don't judge other people if they they do their thing. That's their thing. But at the same time, be sure to be aware of other people that may have a, a defiled conscience so that you don't harm them in the process. Life application. Let us consider that Paul's words in Romans 14 do not cover the judging of actual violations of Scripture, okay? We are obligated to judge such matters. If somebody is violating scripture, then we are to judge them. One Corinthians chapter five. Everybody know that one. Let's go there. It's a very short chapter. It's one of those ones that is. It stands out. And I'm in two Corinthians again. I do that a lot. Um, One Corinthians chapter five. I'm going to read the whole chapter just because it's very short and it's very simple. It's very explicit and. It, it's something to remember. Chapter it says, five. chapter 5, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality is, is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. One, sexual immorality is wrong. Judge it. Two, this is a perverse act within the church. Judge it, okay? And are you puffed up, and if not mourned, that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you? In other words, get rid of him take him away. You should have taken him away from you. For indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, I have already judged. So we are allowed to judge. And Paul is telling them they should have done it. Now I'm doing it for you. Okay. As though I were present him who has done so done this deed. Okay. When people hold up those stupid signs and say, don't judge lest you be judged. They are taking first. They're not Christians. Most of them, they're just using the Bible against you as a Christian saying, well, you shouldn't be doing this and that we'll go up and ask them any question on theology and they'll not be able to answer it and then say, well, you might as well put that sign away too, right? But we are to make judgments in the church, out of the church. If a person is doing wrong against scripture and he is a Christian, you're to judge him. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Sounds bad, doesn't it? Sounds like you are he's losing his salvation. It's exactly the opposite. Here's what he says, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. He's not losing his salvation, but you don't want him infecting the congregation because the next guy might never get saved seeing what's going on, like a, a pagan party in a church. He's never going to come to Christ. Okay? You will not lose your salvation, and it says it right there. As a matter of fact, before we go on, we'll go to, uh, uh, I'm going to really quickly go to Timothy. I'm not sure which one. Yes? you Last sentence. Yeah. Deliver such a one to Satan? Yeah. yeah, it means kick him out of the congregation. Let Satan have him. He's not in the congregation. Satan, okay, think of it this way. I won't go to the verse I am, but I'll tell you what I was going to say in a second. Um, uh, when you kick somebody out of the congregation, he's not living in accord with Scripture, right? Uh, and he's sleeping with a bunch of women around town. What is one of the things that's bound to happen to somebody that sleeps with a lot of loose women? He's going to get... Yeah, STDs, right? He might get AIDS, okay? His body's going to corrupt and he's going to die. That's what he's saying. Hand him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so the spirit will be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Same thing with alcohol. If somebody is drinking too much alcohol and they're turned into a drunkard and he's not willing to give that up, he's not willing to seek counsel and, and get off of that. Hand him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. His liver's going to fail. He's going to turn yellow. He's eventually going to kick the bucket, right? He's not going to lose his salvation, but he will lose his joy in the process. He'll probably lose his house, probably lose his wife and children if he has them, right? Any sin like that, think of it. Think of whatever sin you want, whatever one is on your mind right now, and think of the logical end. If they are kicked out of the congregation, the idea of kicking them out of the congregation is not so that they will die it's hopefully so that they'll have remorse stop what they're doing and come back into the fold okay so it's one or the other and we're going to see that in a second okay it says um uh Your glory is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? That's the whole purpose of what he's doing. Get rid of this person. Let Satan have him. Let Satan handle him. He'll take care of that problem. In the meantime, the church won't have leaven in it. And the next thing you know, everybody here is doing the same perverse things because that is what will happen. You see it in a church when they let one thing come in, It spreads to everybody in one way or another it may not spread in the same way but sin will infect everybody pretty soon okay your glory okay therefore purge out the old leaven get rid of it the sin the sin nature that you may be a new lump meaning one without leaven that's the picture of the Old Testament uh, uh, the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread if you go back and remember that That it's a picture of our time in Christ. The Passover is Christ dying for us and us receiving that. And then the seven days of that festival begins with the Holy Convocation. It ends with one. It is a picture of our life in Christ living without leaven. Okay. And what did uh, the Lord say? If anybody has leaven in their house, he shall be cut off from among his people. That's exactly what Paul is saying right here. Cut him off from among his people. Okay? We don't want that infecting it. The Old Testament was simply making pictures of what we are doing in Christ. Okay? So, the what?
0: I like that.
1: Yes, wonderful (laughs) stuff. Okay, so, um, um, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump lump, since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. He's going back to the symbolism of the Feast of the Lord. Once again, I'll say this because we're talking about one of the Feasts of the Lord. There are Eight feasts of the Lord, the Sabbath, and then the seven annual feasts. Every one of them is fulfilled. If anybody ever tells you we're waiting for three of the fall feasts to be fulfilled at Christ's second coming, that is inaccurate. If you don't understand that, go back and watch the Leviticus 23 sermons, and you will see perfectly how they're fulfilled in Christ. We are not waiting for any. If those feasts of the Lord are not fulfilled, then guess what? We're not saved. Christ didn't fulfill the law. Right. And the law is still in effect. And we are not saved through the blood of Christ. That's exactly that is exactly right. All eight feasts of the Lord, one weekly, seven annual are all fulfilled in Christ. Don't let anybody tell you that you have to observe the feast or we're waiting for their fulfillment in Israel. They're not Israeli feasts. You, You know, people like to do that. They'll say one thing. This is a feast of the Lord. And then as they're going through, all of a sudden the terminology changes and they say these are the feasts of Israel. You watch any study on the feasts of the Lord and almost inevitably they will say these are the feasts of Israel or these are the Jewish feasts. The Bible never says that. They are feasts of the Lord. And who is the Lord? Jesus. He fulfilled those feasts. Okay. So if you hear that, make sure you correct them. That is incorrect. All the feasts are fulfilled. If not, then he did not fulfill the law. We are not saved because he is not the Messiah, but he is. Okay. So Passover Therefore, let us keep the feast, um, not with old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my gospel not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Now, this is one that Christian, I'm glad we went into this because this is, it adds on to what we've been talking about with um, food and with um, feast days or, yeah, days of the week, celebrations. He says, um, I wrote... What wrote you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. I, I, who was it? Somebody. I, maybe somebody in here. I was talking to somebody in the past week, and they said that somebody that uh, they um, uh, know would never go out with anybody that wasn't a Christian. They wouldn't associate with anybody that wasn't a Christian. I said, that's so unbiblical. It's absolutely unbiblical. And this verse right here, is, the next verse is going to show you that. He didn't say Don't go out and hang out with sexually immoral people. You want to hang around with a girl that's a whatever. She's your friend. There's nothing to forbid you from doing that. Here's what he said. He said, yet I certainly did not mean with sexually immoral people of this world, meaning non-safe believers or the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since you would need to go out of the world. I've got friends that worship idols, right? i got friends from all over in Asia. They're my friends. I can hang out with them. I can do anything I want with them. He said, Yet I certainly did not mean with sexually immoral people of this world or with covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Here, here's what he clarifies it now. But I have written you, but now I have written you to not keep company with anyone named a brother. That means a brother or sister. In the Greek, the masculine speaks for all. You are not to keep company with anybody that is named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner not to even eat with such a person. If you know that person isn't living for the Lord, don't eat with them. Don't have any communication or any fellowship with them. Because if you do, you are condoning their activities. So it's
0: somebody that's a Christian.
1: Somebody that says they are a Christian, named a brother, he says. That's right. You are not to fellowship with them. But you've got a friend that's a, I don't care if she's a prostitute. If she's your friend... How is she going to hear about Jesus unless you're talking to her about her? You know, I've been talking to you about this for two years and you really shouldn't be doing this. And eventually it's going to dawn on her. Right. That's not what Paul never tells us not to associate with the people of this world in any capacity at all. He says when a brother says that a person says they're a brother and they act that way, don't associate with them. Don't even eat with them. Everybody see the difference. okay? And then he finishes up. He says, "Um, for what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside, but those who are outside God judges? Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. The entire purpose of sending them out is so that they will hopefully come to their senses and stop doing what they're doing and come back into the fold. If not, then you treat them like a pagan and just you don't hang around with them at all. They've said they're a brother. They want to live that way. That's fine. You're not doing it around me. But a pagan, a person that's never called on Christ, you're free to hang out with them and do whatever you want. We wouldn't be into projects every Saturday if we couldn't do that, right? That's, I mean, that's why we're down there is to talk to people and we see, how many times do we see on Saturday morning, somebody sitting there with a beer and what do we say? You want to pray? I mean, we do it at least every week, but I mean, sometimes you see it three times in a morning. We go up and they're they're all sitting there. They got their morning breakfast. Yeah, their can of breakfast there. And uh, what do you do? Just walk by and say, well, I'm not going to associate with you until you're sober you'll never be able to do it. You'll never be able to do it because some, thank goodness we've got a friend. Oh, somebody we've been praying with for years and he is not drinking now. He's trying to turn his life around and you, you know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to say his name on the, the, he's a big guy. Anyway, you, you know, now, you know, if you don't know, and it's wonderful because we've been praying with this guy for years, for years, wonderful, nice person. But you know what? It just, it, he's finally trying to get his life turned around. So, uh, anyway here we go um notes hang on a sec here yeah 1 corinthians 15 i already read that and so um uh i'm gonna read that again as you can see from these verses sin isn't just working against our own conscience but it is sin to make another work against their conscience god wants us to live in faith and to teach others to live in faith when we violate this we sin okay life application let us consider paul's words in romans 14 Do not cover the judging of actual violations of scripture. We are obligated to judge such matters. And that's where I went into 1 Corinthians 5. But judging doubtful matters not defined in the Bible is wrong. If we don't know our Bibles, then how can we make or withhold a judgment? Last sentence, know your Bible. It's the only way that you can do it. You can't know if you're sinning against God by hanging around with this person unless you know what it says in the Bible. Or your friend says, "Well, you shouldn't be hanging around with people that do that. They're never going to come to Christ if you don't have friendship with them. They're never going to come to Christ. You know, you may be the only testimony that they ever get to see." So there you go. I mean, know your Bible because if you don't, you have no idea at all if what somebody's telling you is correct or not. Okay, fourteen thirteen. I like this next one oh boy
0: therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another instead make up your mind do not put any stumbling block or obstacle in the brother's way
1: okay when he says that i'm going to read it again it's very very similar therefore let us not judge one another anymore what did he just tell us to do in 1 corinthians 5 to, to judge it has to be taken in the context of what he is saying when he says don't judge one another he is speaking about what doubtful matters. What he's been talking about through all of chapter 14, doubtful matters. Food, days of the week, etc. Don't judge people over those type of things. Because if you take that verse and you put it on a placard and you stand outside of a uh, a church and say, don't judge. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, that's a perfect verse for that. But the context is doubtful matters. It has nothing to do with what he did tell us to judge in 1 Corinthians, or, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So careful with the context always yep. A verse taken out of context is a pretext. pretext it's a lie okay verse 13 begins with therefore to tie us back to the previous instruction in the end paul says that we are accountable to christ not to others where doubtful matters are concerned if it's a doubtful matter let the lord judge it okay and as this is so therefore he says let us not judge one another One can almost hear the backbiting which precipitated Paul's letter. Backbiting, which continues on to this day, by the way. People were certainly pointing fingers and accusing one another of not being true Christians because of their diet or their timing or mode of worship. I mean, you get it all the time. All the time. Okay. What is sad is that since the letter of Romans, along with all of the other epistles, has been written, we now have these sure guidelines than before that time. That's why he's writing this letter, because they really didn't have the guidelines. And so Paul is saying, Well, you should do this and do do that. And he's telling it to an individual church. Probably not thinking, Well, this is going to be a standard letter of the pages of scripture for the next 2,000 years. He's just giving them instruction. Well, guess what? We now have this instruction. How guilty are we when we don't take the time to read this, to know it, and then we do exactly what he's telling us to do or not to do? Because, like I said, if you started reading right now, and you finished up with Philemon, you would be done. I I can't imagine it would take more than two hours. Reading it out loud, which is slower, it would take you probably about two hours. And I could be wrong on that. I haven't done it. But the letters of Paul do not take a long time to get through. And yet, how many times do we say, well, you know, and we have to keep reading them too, because I forget. I read them all the time, and I forget. That's why we keep reading the Word of God. All right? It's just like anything else. If you want to remember it, you've got to practice it everybody had to remember a poem in high school? Anybody? Memory? You had to memorize a poem? Anybody?
0: I don't remember.
1: Well, there you go. That was my point. <laughs> everybody here was saying, well, yeah, I had to do a, a memorize a poem in high school, and you don't even remember it because you're not practicing it. And that kind of stuff just starts leaving your mind. I did memorize the Raven by a ground poet, and I'll bet you, I'll bet you $20 I could say it. And I haven't done it in 15 years, but I bet you I could do it. I love Poe. If it wasn't for the Bible, I'd still be reading it. But once I read Poe every single year, everything that he wrote, I read all of his works and I memorized the Raven when I was probably 14. But I got to tell you what, I once I met the Lord, I haven't read him since other than to maybe just refer to something like in a sermon. He's uh, dark, just, right? Oh, he's dark in some, but he's got one of the best sense of humor that you've Ever imagined. He's written some of the funniest, really. If you like reading and you can take time away from the Bible, read Poe and you will have. He does. He invented the modern mystery, not Sherlock Holmes, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. He didn't. uh, It was Poe that uh, invented that genre. He, He had a guy named C. Auguste Dupin, a French guy, and he did the Murders in the Rue Morgue and he did, you know, several. And then everybody else started writing that genre. So that's why we have all of these different uh, people like that. He wrote comedy. He wrote dark stuff. He wrote um, poems and love stuff. And wonderful. Read Poe. Anyway, um, sorry, I didn't mean to get off on that, but I just, yeah, he's really, really was a great author. He was a troubled guy, though. It's very sad his life. But um, anyway, um, let's not judge one another anymore. And um, finger pointers, I said, okay, what is, uh? yeah, here we go. What is sad is since the letter of Romans, along with all the other epistles, has been written, we now have these surer guidelines b- than before that time. And yet there continues to be the same argumentation almost 2,000 years later. Churches divide over petty issues and strong heads argue over matters which should be laid to rest by merely opening the word. Accepting what is written and then exercising love along with adhering to that instruction. Okay. Remember last week, a couple of my friends emailed me, and they uh, they kind of thought it was funny that I brought up the thing about women not teaching, right? And because, and I do that purposely, is because it pokes people that no, that disagree with that, and so I bring it up once a month at least. But you know, a lady emailed me; she gave the perfect verse to substantiate that. Two Timothy two five. Okay. If you don't compete according to the rules, you don't get the crown, right? And remember I said that if somebody is out there preaching and she saves 10, 000, brings 10,000 people to Christ, if you don't compete according to the rules, it doesn't matter. You get no crown. It was a marvelous verse. Let me read the whole verse so you've got it. 2 Timothy 2.5. Well, I mean, and I didn't think of that at all. Hi, Nicole. How are you? Good to see you. Let's see here. 2 Timothy 2.5. Let me find that really quickly. And remember the, the press when... Trump said it's in the letter of 1 Corinthians, and they just oh, barbecued yes, him. Yes, I say 1 and 2 Corinthians, 1 and 2 Timothy, and they have not talked about the Bible since it's then. Right. They're, they're just such hypocrites. Uh, 2 Timothy two five, And it, also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according mm-hmm. to the rules. You don't get rewarded for doing wrong. It doesn't matter if the, the end came out good. The end does not ever justify the means when you stand before the lord and you say well i did all these great things and look at the end result and he says you know what you violated my precepts in the process no reward go sit in the corner with your thimble okay i mean that's i can just see it i just we have to adhere to what the bible says regardless of our own petty peeves and our own whatever okay i jew and gentile right jew comes first i always wished i was a jew i'm not Right. I mean, you just live with it. If you're not this, then live with what you are. If you got bad eyesight like Paul, then you have somebody help you write the letter. This is what you do. OK, it, it, uh, uh. compete according to the rules. That's a wonderful verse. Thank you for for uh, sending that to me. OK, so um, there are constants which never seem to go away. OK, conscience, knowledge and stubborn pride. Some are weak in the faith and lack knowledge. And so they live moment by moment, holding on to what their conscience dictates. And we all know Christians like that. They don't know the Bible. And they're just whatever they're told, they hold on to that because that's what their conscience dictates. They're weak in the faith. Okay. Others are stronger in the faith and possess right knowledge. And so they conduct their actions in accord with proper doctrine, which is where I would hope everybody here and everybody online listening would be. In either case, though, rather than pursuing harmony... What happens stubborn pride often rules the heart because once you have knowledge what does paul say knowledge does knowledge puffs up yeah absolutely rather than this the successful believer whether possessing little or much knowledge is he who lives in love concerning disputable matters which is exactly what he's been talking about through all of chapter 14. the weak without love may become an accusing fool the strong without love may become haughty and self-righteous, and we know people on all sides of that, right? I, I, I'm sure everybody here knows the weak in the faith that are out pointing at everybody when their doctrine is completely wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. And then, of course, we have the people that have beautiful doctrine, really beautiful doctrine. They're up in seminaries, they teach, and they're haughty and they're arrogant and they look down on everybody. Okay, you can go either way with that. You can be have no knowledge, and you can be a great Christian. And you can have all the knowledge in the world and you can be a great christian or you can take it in the wrong direction and the next thing you know everything devolves so you want to at least do what you do in love towards others with the knowledge you have whether it's a little or a lot that's the point okay so the christian who exercises love in the treatment of others in these doubtful matters is the one who is on sound footing this is the one who determines not to judge what they have no right to judge in order to be such a one as this, Paul says that we should re- rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in another brother's way, okay? A stumbling block is something that one can easily trip over. For example, if a person doesn't want to eat meat for a particular reason, such as that given by Paul in 1 Corinthians 8 about the idols, remember? I read that a minute ago. And another Christian coerces them to work against their conscience They have now placed a stumbling block in front of the weaker brother. This is because anything which is not a faith is, as we've already said, sin. A cause to fall would be a stumbling block, which actually trips up the faith of a person so that they now sin, possibly violating their conscience to the point where they walk away from the faith. And that over food? Yeah. Yeah, right. Imagine how displeased the Lord will be when we face him and receive our judgment concerning things we unrightfully judged. Okay? Life application. Our freedoms in Christ do not include the freedom to coerce others to violate their conscience. Proper instruction is necessary. After that, let the believer decide how they will conduct their own affairs. Okay? On their own. Proper instruction is necessary. They're not going to know if they aren't reading the Bible or if you're not telling them what the Bible says in context, okay? But once again, that has to be in context because we've seen how people can rip things out of context and people get in all kinds of arguments on social media and they get in all kinds of arguments in the back of church over things. It has to be in context. If it's not, then it is a pretext. Okay, 1414.
0: As one who is in the Lord, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him, it is
1: unclean. Okay, I'm going to read just the first half of that again, because I wish people would just listen to it. It doesn't matter what your presupposition is. It doesn't matter what you think at all. That doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what the Bible says. Paul says, I know and am convinced. This is a Jew who grew up not eating any pork or any shellfish or any, you know, it was uh, leviticus 11 when i had to uh, get out of my car and it was raining leviticus 11 the dietary laws is what i was listening to on the way over what here today that? yeah and all of the lists of things you can't eat you can't eat the hoopoe and the bat and you can't eat the uh the lizard and the this and the that right all of these things this is a jew that is now writing these words i know and am convinced by the lord jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself leviticus 11 is done Every single one of those animals, we went through the sermon, every one of them pointed to a spiritual truth in Christ. Every one of them, without fail. I don't know if you remember the sermon or not, but every single animal was picked. There are certain animals that were in Israel that he doesn't even mention. He mentions the camel, but he doesn't mention something else right next to it. Why would he do that? You think that he would make an all-inclusive list if he didn't want it eaten, but he didn't. He picked out certain animals and said, don't eat this, don't eat this by name, because each one of them, the root of those words went back to a spiritual truth, which is found in the writings of Paul, okay? It was marvelous what he did, how he worked that together so that we can see what he was talking about, how we conduct our lives as holy, okay? Anyway, Paul's thought here takes us right back to what was analyzed in verses 2 and 3. He's kind of coming around in a circle now. They state, for one who believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. This is back in 2 and 3 I'm reading. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. At that time, it was noted that if Paul says one believes he may eat all things, and he doesn't later correct this during his discussion, which he will not, then it shows definitively that a believer can, in fact, eat all things. See the logic? There you go. Okay, anything is acceptable. Don't eat something poisonous, though. That—that That is what we call discernment, okay? Yeah, yeah, everybody here has to go beyond what I'm saying to you and think, well, Charlie said I can eat all things, so I'm going to go out and eat this mushroom over turpentine. here. Yeah, turpentine, yeah. Okay, so don't eat all things. If you're going to eat turpentine, eat all pure gum turpentine, and only a spoonful, okay? Um, let's see here, that's a homeopathic remedy we've been talking about before class today, is if you have um, uh, mold in your blood and you're about to die, you take a teaspoonful of turpentine, and it will get rid of that mold, okay? Just so you know. Anyway, but don't do that and say that I, I told yeah. you to. You, you make your own choices on homeopathic remedies, okay? All I'm saying is that somebody here had that in their life and they were told that they had to have a complete blood transfusion, or they would die. And they may die anyway. And instead, he took turpentine, and he was cured in three days. I think you said three days. Is that after correct? Re- yes. Yes, three days. Yeah, after okay.
0: Researching it on.
1: After researching yeah. it online, that's right. Don't take Charlie. I'm not an MD. My grandfather was. It did not pass on to me. Okay, so yes um here we go let's see here um the what good disclaimer good disclaimer okay um this confirms the analysis in an emphatic way he gives two affirmations of the thought here which confirm what he said back in two and three one i know two and am convinced by the lord jesus those are affirmations by paul i know and i am convinced by the lord jesus paul's understanding of the gospel combined with his own personal instruction from the lord showed him and thus he to us that there is nothing unclean of itself he is speaking of food in this passage and so states as clearly as possibly could be stated that any and all food is clean and yet if somebody argues with you about that issue they're in a messianic church and they say well i can't eat that and you show them that verse it's as if it's not even written on the paper it's as i i had that happen at least twenty thousand three hundred and twenty seven times and my friend told me in an email because I was talking about something here and he said, Charlie, I've told you a trillion times not to exaggerate. So yeah. Anyway, I know I exaggerate a lot, but I have seen many, many people where you can show them a verse like this and it's, it's as if Paul never wrote that. What, what what'll they do then? They'll start attacking Paul. That's where they go next. They will actually start attacking Paul because it does not fit with their theology. So that's why we must, understand that Paul is writing church age doctrine if you understand that and if you're willing to accept what he reads you will be freed from all of the baggage that's out there in the Hebrew roots movement and the seventh-day Adventists and all of these side cults that get into stuff that is totally totally unscriptural okay nothing in itself uh, is unclean in and of itself okay well I'm not that far yet I know and I am convinced by the Lord those are the two points okay He is speaking of food in this passage. There is no other way to interpret this without abusing the text. And yet denominations and cults are lined up to speak contrary to what is stated here, forbidding foods which God has ordained for us to eat. Again, Paul says nothing is unclean of itself. However, something can be unclean despite it being clean. And that is to him who considers anything to be unclean, To him, it is unclean. Everybody understands that if he thinks it's unclean, it's unclean to him, all right? By stating this, he has resolved two key points. Nothing, nothing is unclean in and of itself. Two, violating one's conscience will defile something that is clean. It now becomes unclean. The matter comes down to conscience, okay? What people need is right doctrine, and then the conscience can be thrown away. But until the conscience is cleaned with right doctrine, They will be sinning if they eat that thing that you are telling them is okay, and they just eat it. It's good for you, okay? Now you're making them sin, and it means that you are causing them to sin, okay? So I'm going to read those two again. Nothing is unclean in and of itself. Violating one's own conscience will defile something that is clean, and therefore, three, if the conscience is what defiles something, then if that conscience accepts that thing as clean, it remains clean, Okay? When you go out to dinner and there's something that you used to think was unclean, and now your conscience is cleared of it because you've been in a Bible study that has shown you what the Word of God says, and you eat it, you're not sinning. Whereas before it was unclean to you, it is now clean to you because of your conscience, and the meat hasn't changed one bit, okay? not one. Well, if it's three months later, it's changed a lot. So (laughs) maybe you better not eat that piece of meat, but get another one like it, okay? Anyway. That which is unclean is that which is received without faith should someone have a conscience about eating an animal because they feel bad for the animal or for whatever reason then that animal to them is unclean okay and i got to tell you what if somebody was to i i'm not even going to say it i love my babies but if you have a conscience about not eating something for a reason it is unclean okay it's your conscience it's your conscience and your relationship with christ that is being dealt with here through understanding Paul's words that nothing is unclean of itself, it then becomes incumbent on teachers of doctrine to properly teach that precept. To teach that any particular type of animal isn't to be eaten because it is unclean becomes a violation of doctrine. And that's what I was saying. The Seventh-day Venice: you can't eat pork, you can't drink Pepsi, you can't do this. And you, that is a complete violation of doctrine. The teacher is responsible, and that's why James writes, James 3.1, Brethren, not many of you should purpose to be teachers knowing that you will receive the stricter judgment now it might be a bit of a misquote but that's basically what he says there okay so the teacher is now responsible for having taught something which is incorrect all right uh where was i um uh, yeah i said that the animal is clean the conscience defiles personal conscience is not a reason to teach doctrine contrary to what the bible states it is sin Just because I don't want to eat pork because of whatever reason, I must teach what the Bible says. If I say that pork is not good because of my conscience, because I'm defiled, then I am sinning by teaching incorrect doctrine. Everybody see that? There is a greater weight of judgment on the teacher because he is actually not just affecting his own bad doctrine. He's affecting everybody that he's teaching. Everybody. Okay? You have to be careful with that. Life application: If someone teaches a precept based on emotion or personal, and that's what half of the church is today is emotion. You shouldn't do this because of political correctness, and we don't. I'm telling you, if you insert emotion into your theology, you will have bad theology. It is that is all there is to it. You never base your theology on emotions. You base your emotions on your theology. When you understand the greatness of what Christ did for you, then you should be humbled. You should be mournful. When you understand the freedom that Christ has given you, you should be joyful. When you understand the proper doctrine, your emotions should be based on that, not the other way around. You never, never base your doctrine on your emotions. And when people give their doctrine on a social media because of their emotions, guess what? They become teachers and they are sinning by doing that. Okay? because they're not giving sound doctrine. You must keep your emotions out of it if you are teaching it incorrectly, okay? You need to make sure you teach it correctly. All right, life application. If someone teaches a precept based on emotion or personal likes or dislikes, rather than as the Bible instructs, they have sinned against God who gave the Bible. Be aware of such teachers and find other avenues of instruction for your doctrine and your practice, okay? Keep away from emotional teachers. And I'm not talking about teachers that are emotional. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about teachers that base their theology on their emotions. Okay. You know, when I preach and sometimes we get to talking about Jesus, especially, you know, when I start crying, I can't help it. I get emotional. Right. I And that's after practicing that sermon out loud time and time and time again. And I think I've got it all out of me you know i'll be first three or four days i'm just streaming in tears when i'm typing this thing and and reading it out loud and then sunday morning comes and i blather in front of you and i'm just, oh, so sorry but you know no, what, no. well no. I, I i know but i just people don't want to hear me i can't even get the words out you come to get the instruction and i just you know when you think of what christ did i don't know how you can't get emotional sometimes i just don't know that's the most honest expression of your spirit well that's true that's and you're broken to tears. Yeah, well, that's true. And, and
0: tears teach.
1: Tears teach. I'll, I'll remember that, and I won't apologize anymore. I like that. Tears teach. Uh, very good. Okay, verse 14, 15. 15.
0: 14, 15. Okay. 15, 15.
1: Yes, yes 14, yes, 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 yes.
0: Oh, I did. <laughs> if your brother is distra- distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ
1: Okay, it's close, but I like the one the New King James a little better because it says walking in love. It says, yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. He uses all of the actions of the body and, you know, punching the air when he's talking about, he's giving the metaphor of a a boxer. And I beat the air. And then he uh, he talks about running the race. He talks about all of these athletic things. And so walking is one of walking in the Bible is sound doctrine, walking in sound doctrine or walking in wrong doctrine. And you think you're on a path, right? And so walking, it is acting is correct. There's nothing wrong with it. But I just prefer when he uses the uh, the analogies of, of walking, running, etc. OK, he goes on. Um, Yet your brother is grieved because of your food. You are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy your food, uh, with your food, the one for whom Christ died, and you can do it. You can destroy somebody's faith by your whatever, whether it's food, whether it's days, or whatever, okay? So, we've been given instructions on our liberties in Christ, but those freedoms need to be exercised carefully in both directions. Just as one weak in the faith shouldn't be accusing another who eats whatever they wish, the opposite is true, too. The person who understands their freedoms needs to not attempt to impose them in a haughty manner over the weaker in the faith. When a Jewish person comes to Christ, they have spent their entire life refraining from foods, which are forbidden under their dietary laws, right? Same thing with a Muslim. Their whole life, they have not eaten certain foods, okay? In theory. Yeah, in theory, because I know a lot of Jews and Muslims that— eat ham you know as a matter of fact there was one of my friends was in line at a uh, it was in Malaysia by the way it was uh, 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 when we were, I was working for the embassy at the time and they were having a, like a state thing and they invited people and they had the, the section set aside for the Americans that could eat the ham he went over and he said I want some of that chicken and the guy said that's not chicken he said I want some of that chicken and so yeah he knew what it was yeah so anyway there you go so they do but uh, if they were observant of their faith we'll say um let's see here um where was i weaker in the faith um oh yeah their whole life refraining from foods even if they understand their freedoms they may be so fixed in their dietary restrictions that they don't want to change okay and i know jews that are like that they will tell you up front you can eat whatever you want i'm not eating pork it was my culture i don't eat it for whatever reason but that is his thing okay that's fine It would be wholly unreasonable to try to get them to indulge in something they are not prepared to eat. And having them work against their own conscience, you will grieve them. In so doing, you are no longer walking in love. The same is true with vegetarians. Whose stomach are they filling? If they want to fill it with only vegetables, is that truly any business of another? That's what Paul asks. Right. Absolutely. Let people... Choose what they wish to eat and do not, as Paul says, do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. It's their stomach. Let them eat what they want. There's pretty much nothing on this planet that is edible that I won't try. I I mean, literally nothing. Durian, anybody? Wonderful stuff. Oh, wonderful stuff. Okay. It would be, um, if they are believers, he has already accepted them. We need to understand that. If somebody's called on Christ, they're already accepted doesn't matter what they do after that point. They have been accepted. Will another's attempts to change their dietary habits change their position in Christ? No, not at all. No. So let them be. Let them partake as they wish and don't force your freedoms on them. By doing so, they are no longer freedoms. Love is the key and one cannot be forceful about doubtful things and still be acting in love. Can't do it. On the other hand, one cannot be acting in love while tolerating that which is clearly forbidden. God has decided what is and what is not acceptable. It is incumbent on us to be firm in that which he is firm in and to allow freedom in that which he is allowed in his freedom of us. To go too far in one direction or another leads to either license or legalism, both of which are poison to the faith and practice necessary to have a sound relationship with the Lord. Got it? Don't go too far in either direction. Let people live in their freedoms. If they're violating what the Bible says, then talk to them about it. Life application. By knowing what is allowed and what is forbidden in Christ, we can know how to handle each situation as it arises within the context of our Christian faith. And the only way to know these things is to... to to study your Bible. To study your Bible. Thank you. That's the only way to do it. Never stop reading, studying, and memorizing this precious word. Okay? I'm so glad that Tom sent me that NIV. I'm going to tell you what. I had, I'm sorry. I had to laugh today. I'm going to tell you in advance. It, it, it's really good. But when you get to the uh, sacrificial system and it says they brought the ox forward and they Uh-oh. slaughtered it. And it, it, <laughs> it's... You won't want to listen to that part because I know your, your uh, sensibilities. They say, and he's. What? Your, I, what? Yeah, I know your sensibilities about animals. Oh, animals. Oh. He says, oh. they they brought the ox forward and they slaughter it, and you hear this in the back. Oh. Yes, and then they splash the blood, and you hear splashing. Yeah. I told oh, you she And then they bring up the goat, and the goat's going, ah. She ah, got that
0: for you.
1: I know she did. That's why oh. I'm saying she might not want to listen to that part in Leviticus because the, from Leviticus 1 yeah. through about 8, and they're showing the different sacrifices, and they keep. They keep playing the same sound every time. They bring the goat up and they cut it starting and it goes Oh, Same sound as the ox. And then they bring up a lamb. And it, after a while, I was actually kind of laughing. It was, it was, it was kind of cute. But I knew that you wouldn't like it. I knew you wouldn't. So I'm giving you the warning in advance. But you would
0: have made a bad it, in
1: Israel. It, I'm telling you, it was. I am so thankful he sent this because oh. it is marvelous to listen to the word with all of. I thought, how is it? How are they going to make Leviticus interesting? And they have people in the background working, ding, ding, you know, and you can hear him sewing and you can hear him doing that. It's just daily life. And he's reading. And then, you know, they have that the sacrifices brought forward and you hear the animal being brought forward and the whole time they've got music and it kind of fits with what's going on. Then they get to the sacrifice and it gets a little faster and it's really well done. If you want to understand your Bible in a completely new way, I I got to tell you, I recommend it. I, I, what it is, the dramatized drama. audio, Bible. dramatized audio Bibles. And they, it is really, really nice to listen to. I've got to tell you, I'm, I, it's not like you read the Bible and you get one thing. You, you, uh, uh, study the Bible, you get something completely different. If somebody reads to you, you, you will just think differently. But I'm telling you when they add in the sounds and everything, I, I, I'm coming up with pictures of things I never thought of before.
0: And very inexpensive on it.
1: Oh, good. I'm glad to hear it. She says you can get it on Amazon cheap. So please, please don't not do this. I mean, what are you going to do when you're driving? Listen to Joy FM's okay, but it's the same songs again and again and again, right? And then you got Moody, which is pretty good. And you got... um, uh, yeah. you know, the oldies station, which I love. And then Rush Limbaugh. But I, hey, listen, I didn't listen to Rush at all today. I listened to the Bible all the way. I'm loving it. I'm I absolutely loving it. Okay, here we go. Let's get back to uh, where we were, which I don't remember 16. where we were. You oh, did, did we finish the uh, life yeah. application? Okay, 16. Yeah.
0: yeah, which actually will put together everything you just
1: said. And not only that, we're really going quick today. We are. We've done like five verses. This great. Do
0: not allow what you consider good to be spoken of
1: as evil okay a little different here therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil but it, it is Makes correct sense. what you consider that's like, that's okay I mean. so now the, the,
0: the, the conversation is it
1: starts absolutely like, okay, you shouldn't do that well that's right
0: it's not evil because because and then you go back to
1: absolutely very well very well said okay um, with the use of the word therefore we are asked to refer to what was just said in order to grab Paul's intended meaning the previous two verses stated, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus. Remember, I know and I am convinced that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. He goes on, "If yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy your with your food the one for whom Christ died. That's the context. Because nothing is unclean of itself, we may feel that we have liberty to partake of anything at any time without harm. This is not the case. It would be entirely inappropriate to invite a known Christian vegetarian over to your house and then serve only dishes with meat. It just wouldn't be right. In fact, knowingly doing this would be evil. It would actually be harmful, okay? And the good you intended by the invitation for dining will only be spoken of as evil by somebody else. When they come over, they're going to say, that guy, he knew I'm a vegetarian. And he did this to me. And forever, they're going to speak about you as evil. Okay? Likewise, if you were to start attending a congregation which consisted of Messianic Jews, which are Jewish people that have accepted Christ as Lord, and went to bring a ham sandwich along for a snack, he would more than probably cause a large amount of offense. Not because there's anything inherently wrong with a ham sandwich, but because these believers have spent their lives refraining from such food and will probably continue to do so even though they now know that they have the freedom to do otherwise. It would just be wrong. <laughs> Having said that, it should be noted that in modern society, someone will always, always find offense at something that somebody else does. We know that. There must be a point where the offended party has to simply grow up and stop being offended all the time. But tact and diplomacy over these matters comes down to one word. Begins with L, ends with of. Anybody? Uh. Love. Okay, there you go. Got it. Um, th- it all comes down to that. And this is true from either angle by the one exercising their freedom and by the one who is easily offended. In the end, the consideration of the situation from the angle of love will be pleasing to the Lord. Okay, so when you're ready to uh, start fighting, it's probably best to just step away from it. Something I find very hard to do. Life application use sound judgment towards others. If atheists are offended by a nativity scene, that is their problem, not yours. However, if a fellow believer is offended by your freedom and your style of worship, While you are attending their church, then maybe you need to adjust to accommodate them. Make your considerations in such matters with Jesus as the example and love as the guide. Okay, you go to church with your friend and they do one thing and you're doing another. Everybody there is going to think that your friend is an idiot for allowing this idiot to come with them. Okay, so (sighs) there you go. But I couldn't care diddly what atheists think about my faith. Not at all. I couldn't care one iota and if they're offended by it ha! that's what i think yeah too bad all right 17.
0: the kingdom of god is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness peace joy in the holy spirit
1: okay almost word for word there ah paul has probably used as much ink on the continuing subject as any other in all of his epistles this matter right here food and uh days which means liberty in christ okay since verse 1 he has remained on the same overall concept of externals in life and how they should not be a distraction in our christian conduct in other words if it is not a specific mandate either in the positive do this or in the negative don't do that then don't argue over it this is a source of legalism which poisons so many teachers pastors and congregations and it is just as harmful as ignoring mandates through liberalism license both are to be rejected taking from scripture or adding to it are both violations of what belongs to god alone okay i sat in a church like that for quite a few years you know that's where my kids went to school king james only no dancing no this and it was it was your head wanted to explode when you walked out of there. If you knew what the Bible said, you're thinking, where do they get this? Where, where you know, now I understand, especially Baptist preachers. Probably 90% of them were alcoholics. And so they, they 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 take that and they impose it on everybody. You can't drink. You can't drink. You can't drink. Well, that's as I said in the last verses, the analysis that's sin because there's nothing in the Bible says that you cannot drink alcohol, except in two occasions, both of them are in the Old Testament law. Okay. And yet they 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 say it and they say it. They have it in their the Southern Baptist Convention. That's one of their policies for all of the Southern Baptist Convention. Well, I hate to tell you, but that is sin because it is not biblical, right? It's the one sermon out of all of the sermons that I listened to. Anybody remember Adrian Rogers? One of my favorite preachers mm-hmm. of all, absolutely one of my favorite preachers. I could listen to him all day today and just rejoice, except one sermon he did, and that was on alcohol because he took everything out of context. But,
0: Charlie, yes. you know, they really are concerned about examples.
1: It doesn't matter. It, well, I, I no, understand, but, only but it does. The reason
0: saying that is because I know when I used to work and we would have a free cash bar, there would always be somebody who would drink excessively. I understand that. I understand that, it was there I
1: understand an that it but was, that is not the church's. Issue. The church has to teach this book. That is what the church has to do. If somebody has a problem drinking, then you need to take them out of the church. That goes to one Corinthians chapter five. Okay. But if they are not doing something contrary to scripture, they need to keep their mouths quiet and they need to not put it in their statement of faith. Because when they do that, that becomes sin. That is not the church's responsibility. The only thing that we can do is say, this person is a drunkard, and that's a violation of scripture. Yeah, they need to go. You need to be out of here, okay? That's where we take it, but we cannot impose our standards in any way, shape, or form on another, whether it's food, whether it's drink, whether it's days of the week. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Clothes, dancing, I I got to tell you. All the girls have to show up in, in dresses. They Women aren't allowed to cut their hair. I was in a, a church up in uh, Alabama, Alabama, oh, I think. The snake? The, the snake handling church. And all the women had hair all the way to the floor. They weren't allowed to cut their hair. They did certain things. I mean, it, you know, it's legalism. It's not good policy. But I, I tell you what, snake handling is a little freaky anyway. But I it was think. the music in that church was I've never heard. I've ever in my life, I've never heard better music than what I heard in that. It was unbelievable. But, yes. Yeah. So now, you better not drink around that person. That's why, you know what? When we have the Lord's Supper, what do we have? Grape juice. juice. Because I have no idea the people in this church what their pasts are like, and I'm not going to do that. And if I know somebody has a problem with drinking, I will not drink around them. Right. It is not going to happen. OK, they are absolutely right about that, Laura. You you have to use discernment because we all have weaknesses. Some people have gotten out of pornography. And the last thing I would do is take them down to Turtle Beach in the summer. Right. I just wouldn't do it because there's girls in bikinis and it, 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 the mind can't handle it. You have to be discerning when you know somebody's limitations. As As Clint Eastwood said, a man's. Got to know his limitations. Okay, there you go. So um, where were we? Um, uh, Yeah, the negatives, legalism, okay, both are rejected. Adding to the Bible, taking from the Bible. Taking from Scripture or adding to it are both violations of what belongs to God alone. Remembering now the first half of the thought, which continues in verse 17. In the previous verse, it said, Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. What we do with our diet can certainly affect our Christian testimony, okay? But it shouldn't because the kingdom of God, as Paul says, is not about eating and drinking. Right. This is the first time in this conversation that drinking has been added into the overall concept of food. The word used here is pōsis and simply refers to anything that can be consumed. However, it must be implying one of two things to even have been introduced. The first would be something mandated under the law, like not drinking blood or not consuming something at a particular time and for a particular reason, such as when one took a Nazarite vow, which is in Numbers chapter 6, coming soon to a sermon near you. The second option would be something fermented or distilled from beer to strong drink. The second is certainly what Paul is referring to here. He wouldn't have brought up drinking if it was water. He wouldn't have even said it. He has to be thinking about something that affects other people. Okay, so it has to be this. All right, um, blood is forbidden even in the New Testament context in Acts fifteen twenty. Paul never overrid that. Okay, they said it as a, an accommodation for the early church. Don't eat the meat of uh, animals strangled. Don't drink blood and all that. Paul never discusses it again. He doesn't mention that at all. He talks about food sacrificed to idols, which is another thing that they addressed in Acts fifteen. Okay. having said that, having said that, Paul says that there is nothing unclean in and of itself. I've got friends that drink blood pudding and all that gross stuff that, you know, it's just part of their culture. And I think I'm not going to tell them they can't do it because there is nothing unclean in and of itself. But that is just gross. That is is just gross. Your blood sausage, and they 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 drink those blood things. I'm talking about people from Asia, and they just I, I don't know what you're talking just, about. Just you go to their parties, and it's just it's
0: yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah it's just it did say that that you wrist. would eat. Yeah. we just found out about.
1: But that I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you why is because when I was a kid, I I was at school, and something happened, and my tongue got cut completely open on the inside. And that lady, she the nurse, she said just swallow it. I'm I'm spitting out and it made me sick, man. I'm telling you <laughs> what, and I I no more. It's like you know tomatoes, fish, <laughs> oh, and watermelon never. Oh, but I'm going to tell you, oh, blood is you just no. I'm tomato saying tomatoes, fish, tomato. and watermelon. I won't eat, but I, I won't blood. <laughs> I don't even want to taste it. Oh, it's uh, that was a horrible blood, day.
0: Tomato, fish, and watermelon. Yeah,
1: well, blood <laughs> is just because, but yeah. I mean, it, that was a very very tough. You're like eight oh, years old, and you're just bleeding. Oh. Tongues don't stop bleeding you, inside your mouth. Oh. That was really bad, so I I can't even think about it. But anyway, I didn't mean to get off on that, but you started me. It's your fault. Anyway, let's see here. The Nazarite vow only pertained to Israel under the law. Okay, so we got that out of the way, so we must be talking about alcohol. Therefore, other than blood, there are no restrictions mentioned in the New Testament. Understanding this, the consumption of drinking alcohol then falls under the disputable matters category, just like types of food and days and observances. Hence, To forbid it, talking about alcohol now, would be legalism, adding to God's word. However, to promote it to the point where it would lead to drunkenness would be going in the opposite direction. That's right. Either way, there would be an abuse of what is considered acceptable. Rather than getting into a bad situation over this, just like the eating of meat or the observance of a particular day of worship, we are to not let our good be spoken of as evil. And the reason why is given as the final portion of verse 17. Rather than focusing on things which are temporary and passing away, we should be promoting righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Legalism is swept out of the house by proper doctrine when righteousness is pursued. However, the crowd who shout do do and don't over disputable matters do not promote righteousness. Where there is bondage, It is certainly missing. I was in that church for years and it was missing. The same is true with peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We cannot live under these precepts if we are attempting to please men. Instead, there's only a violation of the conscience, feelings of guilt, and a lack of being filled with God's perfect presence. And the reason goes back to what being filled with the Spirit entails. Does anybody remember it is a what type of an action? Begins with a P. Passive. Passive. It's a passive action. That's right. A believer is sealed with the Spirit the moment they believe. What Pentecostals and Charismatic teach about a second birthing of the Holy Spirit is completely false. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit the moment that you believe in Jesus Christ and you will never ever, as long as you live, ever get more of the Holy Spirit. You are sealed at that moment and it is done. But the Holy Spirit can get more of you. It is passive. What did, okay. they, what did
0: you say they believe
1: in? That's they believe in a second birthing of the spirit. In other words, there there are two categories of Christians: those that are saved believers, and there are those that are Holy Spirit saved believers. They believe in a second birthing of the spirit. It's false. It's absolutely nothing in scripture to justify it. It is taking the book of Acts in a descriptive manner, passages out of context, and it is applying it to their doctrine. That's what it comes down to eventually. That's correct. They believe you have to speak in tongues in order to be uh, prove that you're sealed. And then they speak in tongues, which aren't even languages, which the Bible always speaks of tongues as languages. Okay, so all of these things are false teachings. Okay, um, my friend emailed me, it doesn't matter who, he emailed me and he says, you know, I've been saved for years. And he said, I don't know the joy of the Holy Spirit. He says, what How am I, what am I missing? And I said, you know what? I'm going to tell you what. I get frustrated. I'm talking about me, Charlie. This is my answer to him. I say I get frustrated. I get angry. I get stressed because of the workload. I mean, I get up at four every day and I start working right at four o'clock. Actually, I get up at 345 and I start working at four. And I work usually until after six o'clock and if anything gets added in, it causes a lot of stress because I have the day all planned out until I go to bed. All right. And this is seven days a week. And I said, I am always tired. I'm chronically tired. Okay, I, there's never a day where I think oh, I, I feel refreshed. Okay, so I am lacking what you might call what somebody would say. Oh, he's lacking the joy in the Holy Spirit. But to me, joy in the Holy Spirit isn't something that I have to feel right now. Joy in the Holy Spirit to me is knowing that Jesus Christ died for my sins, and that there is nothing that can separate me from that, and that my future is guaranteed. It is assured. It is eternal. So if you're struggling with I just don't have joy in the Spirit, don't worry about it. i I'm, and I'm not talking about uh, about the state in Christ. I'm talking about being tired, being frustrated, whatever, because that is life. We live in bodies that are broken. Some people have pain all the time. How can you have joy? When you have pain, unless it's something you're looking forward to. You understand that? If you are looking forward to what is coming, then that pain, you can have joy in that pain. But you're not having joy because of the pain. So don't lie and say, well, gee, I'm I'm filled with joy in the Holy Spirit when you're suffering. Okay? Paul stole. He went through all of that suffering, and yet he had the joy of knowing that he was going to be with the Lord. Okay? He was suffering terribly. All right? So... Don't don't feel bad if you are struggling in this world. And what am I doing wrong as a Christian? You're not doing anything wrong as long as you understand the final goal of what Christ did for you. This is temporary. This blows at times. I understand that. But something really good is coming. And that is where our joy comes from. Okay? Uh, um, okay. I, I just had to say that because I want people to understand that it, it, not everything is peachy in life. All right? Um. Where was I? Are we What verse are we in? Um, 17. Seven, okay, so uh, let's, oh yeah, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what got me thinking about that. We cannot live under these precepts if we are attempting to please men. Instead, there is only a violation of the conscience, feelings of guilt, and a lack of being filled with God's perfect presence. And the reason goes back to what being filled with the Spirit entails. That's where we left off. It is a passive action. A believer is sealed with the Spirit the moment that they believe. They can never get more of the Holy Spirit from that moment, but the Spirit can get more of them. Through peace, contentment, and joy, the Spirit will radiate out of them. And this can only occur through obedience to God's word and his precepts, not the precepts of man. You will never have any joy of anything if you are living in bondage in this world. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. And don't do that. Who are you pleasing? You're not pleasing God, right? You'll get your joy in knowing that I'm doing these things because I have something waiting for me that is a lot better than this life. Life application, we have been given the chance for heavenly joy even in this life. Why would we waste that wondrous opportunity by being brought into captivity and bondage? And why would we ruin it for another by having them violate their own conscience? Let us endeavor to put disputable matters away from our interactions with others difficult to do, but it's what we're called to do, is to not go disputing too heavily with people over disputable matters. Just give them doctrine. If they don't want to learn it, then what did it say in Titus? Warn a, um, a divisive man once, warn him a second time, and then have nothing to do with them. But if they're not being divisive, if they just are weak in their faith, then love them for their weakness, okay? That's the precept we're looking at. i just in time. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these instructions from Paul they uh, when we read them individually during our bible study sometimes or our bible reading sometimes they don't really come out in their fullness but when we stop and think of what paul is saying because it's based on what you intended for him to say it sure comes out beautifully we can see that we have freedoms but we're not to abuse those freedoms we can have joy in what is lying ahead even while suffering in this world thank you for these things thank you that we have this hope this sure hope that is founded in jesus christ and Lord, we lift up all of the people, whoever they are in this building or outside of this building that are suffering right now with their own trials, their difficulties, job problems or whatever. Lord, be with them and help them to understand that the temporary is frustrating, but we can have joy in Christ because of what is coming. It sure is wonderful to think about and may that day be so. We love you and we praise you in Jesus name. Amen. 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 All right. Let me back oh, back this up here. i <laughs>